I'm Ted Robertson. Welcome to the Veterans Voice podcast series on behavioral health featuring Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center's Director of Behavioral Health, Kirsten Belair. Kirsten graduated from the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs with her master's degree in clinical mental health counseling. Kirsten's role at Mount Carmel is to ensure that the behavioral health services offered are culturally competent, military-specific, and accessible to a range of clients who might not otherwise have access. If you need behavioral health assistance, please call 719-309-4758. That's 719-309-4758. If you're in crisis, you can dial 988 for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. The Veterans Crisis Line at 800-273-8255 or Colorado Crisis Services at 844-492-8255. Kirsten, welcome, and I'm kind of excited to get this started. This is uh, one in a series of many to come that uh, give people a look inside your world, which I think is very rare, but I think will be very helpful. It touches the aspects of team building working with an educated team. Who picks the team? What are the risks and rewards? And before we get there, let's talk about you. Talking about me, where do you want me to start? Because that's a long laundry list. <laughs> well, Kirsten, one thing that I've noticed about you and people that I know who know you all share the one thing that really shines about you and that this stuff is in your DNA and it just feeds your soul. You're just so passionate about it. Um, yeah, I would I would concur with the statement that I am <laughs> passionate uh, about many things, and and one of them is the counseling process, the vulnerability process, and the continued growth process. It's one of my primary values that I hold myself to as best I can. Um, I'm always the student, always learning, and I think that that continues to make me more malleable hmm. as a human, um, as a supervisor, and as a counselor myself. In the grand scheme of things, where does behavioral health fit in the Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center organization? Yeah, great question. So uh, retired Colonel uh, Bob McLaughlin, when he was garrison commander here at Fort Carson, he was noticing um, that we were sending soldiers off to war and then they would come back and let's say they were struggling with some mental health um, issues. And basically, let's say they were deciding to cope using drugs or alcohol or other things that would then become an issue for um, their job and then they were potentially chaptered out. And his heart and his passion was going, you know, we want to be able to help those who have served in the mind, body, spirit type of arena. And that was um, a co-kind of mission and goal with Jay Chimino as well. And so when Mount Carmel started it was decided that they really did want to, if possible, tend to the mental health side, the behavioral health side. So if people don't really know that these are um, basically synchronous statements. So in the civilian world, we might be more likely to use the term mental health. Um, in the military world, we're more likely to use the word behavioral health, but they are um, basically the same term. Talk about your background a little bit, because uh, education-based is education-focused. Mm -hmm. And that feeds into many aspects of making what you do the success that it is. Um, let me see if I can be succinct. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, uh, I was raised in a home where there was domestic violence. Um, I was the youngest of three children. 
and my brothers were seven and ten years my senior, and observing what was going on in my family, um, I think actually created a skill within me, which was I became hyper, like I was a hyper reader. I was, in order to survive and keep myself safe, I needed to be able to read people's verbals, nonverbals, uh, tone, all that kind of stuff. And so it was just a skill that I didn't even realize I had. But um, later on as a counselor, it actually served me. So ultimately, I went um, to college when I got out of high school. And I thought I was going to be an English teacher for high schoolers. And then I realized that that probably would not fit me after doing a short internship going, I would probably get fired um, because I'm way too real and authentic. And there are some politics back then that probably were not going to jive well with me. So after that, um, I took a break from schooling and just kind of did the administrative type of jobs and career. Um, And then I ended up co-facilitating a women's group and I found myself more energized emotionally and mentally than I think I had ever been. And at that point, I decided to finish up my undergrad in psychology. And then that, of course, forced me, not forced me because it was my goal, but you basically can't do too much with just a bachelor's in psychology. You can, but uh, a lot of times it's just a launching pad to go into, let's say, therapy or um, research or other things like that. So anyway, I went ahead and uh, engaged in the counseling program here at UCCS, which is the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. And that was my alma mater. And um, that program for me, the way that it was designed uh, about a decade ago, was basically therapy boot camp. I had never had the opportunity to really face myself, the way that I thought about things, the reasons I thought about those things, the way that I did, my worldview, my perspectives, um, and then others, like how others uh, see and view the world. Um, I learned a lot about myself and how I impact others, how I come across to others that I had no idea about. And I was just so impressed by the program. Um, and so I just launched into a, a counseling career and had some challenges along the way, but then found an opportunity to work at Mount Carmel, and that was a little over six years ago. And it turned out that Metamorphosis allowed me to become the main supervisor for an education-based program, and that's what we've been doing ever since. Why is this kind of insight going to be valuable to people listening? Yeah, I think it's valuable because it will help people understand a little bit behind the scenes um, what an educational program means and looks like. For the counseling world, I know some people might think, hey, going to see a student is not as good as going to see somebody who's seasoned or specialized. And in some cases, they're absolutely right. Um, There are specialized providers and more seasoned providers that can um, serve a certain population better, but there's a lot of strengths and benefits to engaging in, in the counseling process with somebody who is in the the grip and the height of of their learning process, their curiosity process, and their growth process. If you're being perfectly candid right now, are you suggesting that as a counselor becomes more seasoned, they can become somewhat thick-skinned and jaded? I think that that's definitely a possibility for some. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I know even for myself, as you know, the years have tromped by, I may be quicker to sit down with somebody and what we do, what we call case conceptualization and kind of identify and see things that I think might be happening and occurring. But when I do that rapidly, what I'm also doing in turn is reducing the opportunity for them to bring their story to kind of be maybe unbiased or or uh, uninfluenced and just allowing the purity of their story to then shape my clinical opinion. Does that make sense? You're sizing somebody up a little prematurely is what you're suggesting to me. P- potentially, yeah. And I think too, um, I mean, there's, it's true, compassion fatigue is a real thing. Um, I don't know that people realize the skill set that it takes to be a counselor. It is very um, intensive when it comes to the focus factor. We are attending psychologically and emotionally in ways that not too many other professions would have to do, if that makes sense. So there's a lot of psychological work and energy that we're putting forth in the counseling um, sessions, and it can be very draining. And if we're not caring for ourselves, there can be burnout. And so the idea of something that we call transference, uh, which means as a counselor, if I'm having a bad day, if I'm not happy with my career or whatever, my client is probably not going to get the best of care from me because I am absolutely going to be transferring some of those struggles into the counseling room, and I may or may not be aware of those. A student, by their very nature, thirsty for knowledge, feeding their mind all the time, and very invested in that person that they're sitting across from. That person, new to the profession, you're grooming them uh, in your way, bringing them into uh, your culture, which is that education-based counseling or system of counseling. The cool thing about many of the counseling programs, kind of like I mentioned earlier, the therapy boot camp, is a lot of people will go into the counseling field thinking, oh, my job is going to be to give people advice. And that is actually very antithetical to what we actually do. What we actually do is break down all of those typical, normal U.S. culture um, relational engagements. And we have to become very good listeners. So that's, in another word, um, active listening, or other words, I should say, active listening or reflective listening. And so we have to get ourselves out of the way. One of the best ways that I heard it described was when we're doing our counseling um, techniques well, it potentially can feel to the client like we are a mirror. Um, And then looking in the mirror going, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm wearing that. I shouldn't be. I don't want to be wearing that. I want to change, you know, um, and trying different things on. But a mirror is, for the most part, unbiased. It's just a reflective tool. And so, again, it's not about giving advice. Like, the mirror is not going to say, depending on the mirror, right? But the mirror is not going to say, you shouldn't be wearing that. That's up to you to determine um, when you're looking in the mirror. So these programs are really designed to help students figure out how to let their stuff go, leave it at the door, because it really is about the client and whatever that client is going through, however they see it or view it. Does that mean, though, that we challenge? Yes. Um, and that's, a, that's a, a, a skill that I think is extraordinarily essential because as humans, we don't grow if we're not getting challenged. 
uh, another word could be confronted or just being able to see, man, I'm saying that I, I want strong relationships. And what I'm doing is bailing every time I have hard conversations. So a challenge is, why is that? What's happening in you that is saying, I want this, this is my value, and yet my behaviors aren't. So that is a part of the counseling process, too. It's not just to come in and have somebody agree with you. It's to have that hopefully unbiased, non-judgmental conversation where you get to really look at yourself and then determine where you want to go next. Gosh, yeah, I'm thinking echo chamber. If you're just hearing yourself reflected back to you and there's nothing different, nothing challenging about that, what are you accomplishing? Right. How many people on your team? We typically run right now between about 12 and 15 what we call interns. Um, So we've partnered with the accredited universities along the Front Range. So that's um, UCCS, CCU, I'm going to throw out all these acronyms, right? But the accredited universities. So there are some counseling programs that are out there, but they're not accredited um, based on their what do I want to say, accreditation boards. So that's one of the requirements because we want to know that the universities that are um, standing up these future clinicians are following quality mandates, for lack of a better way to say it. And then we also really try and pick the top um, people from those programs. And what I mean by that is I want to have on my team people who can, for lack of a better term, hit the ground running. So somebody who is really struggling with just the basic counseling skills are not going to be a good fit potentially for my program. We're not set up to teach those basic skills, the one, two, threes of counseling. We are the, we are the site where they're going to hit the ground running. They're going to be seeing clients. And they also need to be open to challenges and, and really have that hunger for growth and adjusting accordingly and flexibility and malleability. Um, So I'm very, very picky, and I'm not going to give you secrets on what I do to basically interview and vet potential people who come to the program, but it's worked pretty solidly over the years. That speaks to the high level that our team at Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center loves to operate in. Yeah. Share a little bit about your own philosophy of counseling I'm going to say the next few things, but I'm going to try and not use too clinical of terms, just, sure, you know, to use just regular terms, which is I believe that our childhoods impact us. I believe that we either um, had messages or beliefs that were implanted in us or were forced into us or beaten into us um, that absolutely impact the way that we're living our adult lives. And we can try and just talk differently or act differently or just be differently. But that's not genuine, in my opinion, and it's not sustainable. So I love going to the roots of where did this come from and understanding the whys behind it because it's this concept of what we're doing for the most part is not intentional harm ever. That's kind of one of my beliefs um, that people are, for the most part, inherently good. And the things that we're doing that are not serving either ourselves or the people we're in relationship with actually do have um, a helping feel-ish if you can really look at it, right? So, for example, if somebody is really struggling with 
isolation and loneliness and they're drinking to cope, right? If I ask somebody, well, is drinking helping? They're like, no. I'm like, really? Because maybe it is. Because we know that when we're under the influence of alcohol, we're numbing. And the more numb we are, the less connected we are to our pain and our loneliness. And so actually it is attempting to help, but it's also exploring what is going to be a better help, right? Because if we determine that alcohol isn't a good use for us, then we need to figure out something else. And I think that's another portion of my philosophy, which is my way is not always the best way. And my way isn't always going to be a good fit for somebody else. And so what can we do to determine what's going to be in the client's best interest and what's going to work for them to maximize their life satisfaction? Um, And then I think the other basis, like I said earlier, is the growth piece. I continue to take trainings. Uh, I want more tools in my tool bag. I want to understand unique ways and philosophies of thinking or counseling interventions. I listen to a lot of podcasts and I'm constantly challenging myself. My team laughs at me because I'll come in. I'm like, okay, so I was listening to a podcast. I'm like, oh my gosh, Kirsten, you know, Um, but I really want to stay on the cusp of, of what are new psychological interventions or or theories or studies that are being done? What are we learning? Um, Because the more informed I am and the more I understand my client, I think the better we can come to, I don't know, the the best recovery and source of solution for them. And I take that to a degree with my supervisees as well. Some finer points about what it means then to have an education in this field. Yep. So nationally, um, let me let me just explain it this way. So we have here in Colorado uh, what we call the licensed professional counselor. And that track, if you're going to, let's say, get your master's in counseling, that's going to be accredited by KCREP. And that's a, a national board that for any counseling program under that specific type of modality um, is governing. But then you also have, for example, LCSWs, which are licensed clinical social workers, and they are um, organized by a different educational board. Um, And same thing with MFTs, right? So if you have a licensed marriage and family therapist, they're not under KCREP. They're under their own licensing board, right? So Mm -hmm. like COAMPT. Anyway, so um, at least educationally, there's national ones, but for each track, a body that specializes in that field so that the accreditation properly informed by the people who sit on those boards. Yes. Then we have Department of Regulatory Agencies here in the state of Colorado that very carefully oversees that licensure and makes sure that uh, there is a a pretty high bar to entry in this field. We are going to talk about strengths and vulnerabilities here shortly. We're going to talk about how that feeds into team building and how you choose those people. You've talked a little bit about that already. And what's it look like to supervise a very potent and and, uh, high-level group like that? So um, back then to uh, putting a few finer points on uh, what it means to have that education. I believe that before a person should sit in the counselor chair with a client – that there needs to be some foundational education and classes that are completed. So the programs that typically we partner with have had their students, A, taken numerous courses in 
whether it's basic counseling skills, whether it's theories, but they already have kind of that education base before they even launch and sit in front of a client. And some of the best programs that I've seen are the ones who have what we call lab, meaning they're learning the counseling techniques um, let's say philosophically, right, from the books, but then in lab, they're actually practicing these skills. And in that process and practice is where the students, let's say stuff, quote unquote, will kind of come to the surface. And then they have an opportunity from feedback or from self-awareness to go, whoa, that client, pretend client that I was just working with, when they said Apple, holy moly, that brought up something super significant in me. And my brain stopped attending to what my pseudo client was saying, my stuff is coming up now. Um, So I really like those type of programs. And uh, I don't know if many of you are aware, but to become licensed as a counselor in the state of Colorado, you need to have a minimum of a master's degree. We do actually have some great uh, students coming from DU, Denver University, and their PsyD program. So that's a PhD level program in therapy and counseling. Um, and so they're they're top notch too. But when I say elite, um, when I think of elite, I I don't I don't partner that statement with perfection or perfect. Mm-hmm. When I think of elite, I think of the people who are inherently internally driven to yes be their best, but really be able to see where the areas of growth are where their own personal challenges are and not run from that. So these are going to be people who are not likely, hopefully, to avoid. They're going to lean in to difficult struggles, um, the type of people who are not necessarily just going to cheer people on and root on the sidelines, but they're willing to, as Brene Brown would say, you know, get into the arena mm-hmm. with our clients. Um, and then, again, just that, I think, mentality that, I haven't arrived because my life is a journey, even as a counselor in my career. I haven't arrived, and so I don't become lax. It is a I'm constantly journeying and growing, and how can that benefit not only myself but my clients? And I want them to have a similar-ish philosophy. So there is, there, there is that very strong sense of introspect that you like your your team to have. Very much so, yep. And especially because in the counseling relationship, I mean, A, the key word being relationship. And we know that relationships are transactional in many ways, right? And so uh, how am I as a counselor potentially participating and or contributing to if my client is stuck or feeling stuck? Is there anything that I'm doing that could actually be amplifying that stuckness? Um, And I would need to look at that for myself. Strengths and vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. Something you said that you wanted to talk about. Yeah. Well, first... um, you know, for a while there, and, and I and I understand the perspective, but the feedback that to a degree we were getting about the program is, you know, there's there's just students. They're not actually doing counseling. I mean, don't, you know, why would you send somebody who has PTSD to a student? Why would you not want to send them to somebody who's very seasoned um, and has a lot of practice in this? And so to that, I mean, that can be one of the, the challenges, Right. Is that, yes, we do have um, a team that is major, like the majority of our students, they're learning. Um, and so there are definitely going to be certain clients and we do the screening process for a reason that their behavioral health needs are going to be beyond what our team's competence at the time 
is. And so we do want to give credit where credit is due regarding uh, the clinicians who have been licensed for a long time or have um, training or certifications in specialty treatments and or higher level of, of education or whatever. We want to ensure that the client gets their needs met. And we know that as an educational program, we're not going to be able to answer all of the struggles, you know, the calls of struggle from any client that walks walks through the door, excuse me. So that's one of the challenges. Um, but again, we have really enjoyed as we've done this over the years to hear, let's say, senior command come in and say, I wasn't too sure, man, you know, I, I don't know if a student was really going to be able to help me. And then they sit across from these students and they actually have growth and movement that they didn't get in the years of therapy previous. I think, again, there's something to be said about the the curiosity that a student brings. They don't know everything and they know it. And I like that because they're not coming in going, oh, yeah, I know this. I know this is your problem. And I know that this is what's going to be best for you. It's just the curiosity. Let's discover that together. Also, they're less likely to fill in the gaps of a story from a client, they're going to be more likely to say, tell me what that was like for you. You know, really help a client unpack the stories that they've been carrying around Um, instead of going, oh, yeah, I know what that's like. We'll just skip that and move on. Right. Um, And then also the fact that to me, students, because they're really engaged in that learning process um, and awareness piece, they are so what do I want to say? I, I'll use your word from earlier, passionate. They're so passionate about doing a good job that they're really checking the room, right? They're checking their clients. They're checking themselves. They're going, I want to make sure that this is working for you. Please feel free to give me feedback. I'm learning. And that can actually be a space that's really a beautiful opportunity for the client to say, yeah, actually that totally did not work for me. Mm. Or the way that you said that, not so great. And then the counselor in training can adjust accordingly. And all of a sudden, now you have this um, pretty unique and and precious opportunity to engage in a relationship where the the counselor in training is really curious about what's going to work best for you, what feels good, what doesn't feel good. And they're going to adjust accordingly because the client's needs matter. And for some of our clients, that hasn't been the world for them. It's always been about attending to others' needs. Um, even in the military uh, system, it's not about what we need. It's about what do my brothers and sisters in arms need? What do my command, you know, what does my command need? Um, it's very sacrificial. And also the supervisory process is a really um, beautiful experience too, uh, one that I love that just in, hopefully enhances the student interns or the student clinicians' um, ability to just reflect and and grow and be curious and be willing to use something different if whatever they were using isn't working. Instead of a, I'm a seasoned clinician, I've been trained in, in this specific modality and I really don't do anything else. Then it's like the one size fits all feel versus if you have students, they're like, I don't even know what sizes there are. I'm learning them and I don't know what's going to fit. So let's try and figure out what the right fit is. Is there such a thing as bonding between a client and a counselor? I like the way you say that. Um, Hopefully the counseling relationship inherently is going to be a place where a client 
does feel connected, maybe in, in ways that they've never felt connected before, um, because they have somebody who is really working diligently to not be in a place of judgment, to not be in a place of fix-it mentality, um, but just a place of, of curiosity and, and I don't know, connectedness, I guess would be a good way to say that. So clients absolutely can bond with their therapists. Now, as therapists, we are challenged ethically to clearly not fully bond with our clients, right? So, for example, um, it is never okay for a, a client and a counselor to have a romantic or sexual relationship. We as counselors are not allowed um, to have what they call dual relationships, meaning I have a relationship with a person in the in the counseling setting, but then I also might have a relationship with them outside of that counseling session. That's not allowed. So, um, so there's a little less of the of the bondy maybe from the counselor side, but at the same time, I'll be honest and say there are some times where certain clients we like. I've said it too. I'm like, dang it! I wish I could have met this person not in the counseling arena. Because I would have loved to have had this person as my friend um, because they're just phenomenal people. And really everybody that we see I think has uh, so many strengths and so many – they're just good, good people. They really are. And the fact that they're willing to be vulnerable and courageous enough to share their lives with us and open parts of themselves up to us is – it's – what do I want to say? I think it's – a relational experience and a connectedness that is so unique, so powerful, um, and life-changing. And I think not just on the client's part, but on the counselor too. There is an effect bonding, but with boundaries is what it sounds like. Yeah. I know, um, one of the things that we have to work as a counselor hard at is to undo the cultural training of, how to become connected. What I mean by that is with our clients, it's not conducive to the counseling or therapeutic relationship. If I sit down across from somebody and Kirsten starts to just talk about her life, right? That's not the counselor role. Uh, Might I share some things that could be potentially relevant in a very succinct manner? And then the energy and focus goes straight back to the client. Sure. But this is not my hour. So um, and that's hard because in, in culture, typically if you're getting to know somebody, it's like a swapping of stories. And so I know sometimes our clients struggle because they're used to that in the connection piece and bonding. And then they're like, but I don't even know you. Like, I don't know what you believe in, or I don't know if you're this or that. So I don't know if you're safe. And that's one of the hardships sometimes is it's like, because it's not supposed to be about me. I'm supposed to, again, Leave my stuff at the door so this is just your space and time for us to figure out for you, not about, let's say, Kirsten. Where does a high-caliber counselor like you and your team go to refresh and recharge? I've been facing a season of just back to back to back to back and lots of challenges. And so you ask that, and I'm like, uh. So <laughs> we are we are ethically supposed to be doing self-care. And so... I wish there was just a place <laughs> to like go and recharge. I still have this dream um, that I would love to do a kind of counseling retreat slash weekend, but that would be a giving back to the counselors. Because the truth is, depending on our lives, 
we are outputting so much every day. And depending on our lives and relationships, we may not have a lot coming back to us. Um, so I would say, though, connectedness and relationships where we can have verbal engagements where it is about us <laughs> is is a way to kind of recharge. For some of us, it's going to be, you know, exercise or mindfulness or being able to just leave work at work and do whatever we want to do. For Kirsten, sometimes it's definitely binge watching Netflix or something. I just need the mindless, right? Because um, my brain works overtime at work. So hopefully keeping in balance our output and input. Well, Kirsten, you have a little pup that goes with you oh everywhere. Gosh, yes. You also have something with an engine and two wheels that is an escape for you. You shared that with me from time to time. Yes. So there is some self-care there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I will just say, so my little dog, Lukey, um, he is the bomb diggity. <clears throat> and he's been coming with me since basically I started. And he'll sit in on sessions or supervisions and hang out. But he is so, I mean, I know that I'm super biased, okay? But he is so freaking cute. And I can't tell you how many times a day I just glance over at him and he'll look at me and I'm just like, oh, my God, you're so freaking cute. And it just brightens my day, like constantly. <laughs> or, yeah, definitely um, – Getting out on the motorcycle is such that's my that's part of my therapy. Um, yeah. but of course I am teased sometimes because I'm what they consider a fair weather rider. So I don't ride much <laughs> when it's A cold or B crappy weather or sandy roads. Because but. you don't have to. <laughs> yes, I guess because I don't have to. So yeah. give yourself a little bit of room here. I, I want to point out that when you talk about that little bit of self-care, when yeah. you talk about Lukey, when you talk about your motorcycle and those moments when you're out there in the wind and just yeah. beautiful weather and, and just enjoying life and not thinking about anything else, you light up. And I want to say that that's the same kind of lighting up you do when you talk about your team. Yeah. And yeah. let's finish uh, by kind of fleshing that out. And then I'm thinking I see a podcast in our future here where we talk about the care and feeding of your counselor. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but I want to hear more about uh, that love you have for your team because yeah. they're obviously functioning. They're working well. It's a very successful department. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll just put it this way. I've worked in enough jobs where the work environment can either make or break us in some ways. And so when I started building this program, it was essential and critical for me to create an environment that people wanted to come to work. They enjoy coming to work. I mean, we laugh a lot and we challenge each other. Um, the team challenges me. It's it's such a good, rich, connected feel. And so there's typically not, I guess, too much dissension. But I think that's hopefully because we're an environment that says we're welcoming that critical feedback. Or if something's not working, let's, let's figure it out. Let's talk about it um, and figure out better solutions. And again, because I'm I'm the type of person who it's not like, oh, my way or the highway, you know, it's the I, I guess I come from a more collaborative model in general. And I think that when the team feels like their voices are important and heard and their needs are important um, and we understand how much they're outputting and that we want to help refuel each other, then it's it's a solid elite um, team because you're just 
maximizing and amplifying the best out of each of the team members. And again, I still think my picker outer is pretty solid when it comes to the team. Um, I really have fantastic people who have come through the program, and it's always this amazing gift and journey to be able to walk alongside them in that supervisory process or just collegial process. The right heart, the right mindset, that um, intellectual curiosity, that means everything. I hope so. I mean, it's working so far. (laughs) But of course, I can welcome feedback when it's not. So, Kirsten Belair, Director of Behavioral Health here at Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center. I'm your host, Ted Robertson. We're going to be back about once a month. Let's say we're going to be back right around the second Monday of every month with another look behind the scenes at behavioral health here in uh, Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center and and really into the field in general. And if you need help, Kirsten, uh, if you are in crisis and you're listening right now, if you know somebody that you think needs help, let's get them plugged in with behavioral health here at Mount Carmel. How do they do that? Yeah. So they can either call uh, the main number or actually just call the behavioral health direct line, which is 719-309-4758 and get connected. We have a no-cost screening um, that we can schedule you in for. And the groovy thing about that is, you know, in about 50 minutes, hopefully we're going to be able to really suss out what your behavioral health needs are. And then from there, determine if our program is a good fit or if there's somebody else in the community who's going to be a better fit. And then we really work hard to provide those warm handovers. Um, But just as a side note, we are not at this time a crisis mm-hmm. center. And so if somebody is calling going, I'm, I'm on the verge, I'm thinking I'm going to kill myself, I have my weapon loaded, we are not the people that you're going to want to call. You need to be calling the crisis resources um, or 911 for sure. But for non-crisis, um, we can be a good starting point. Absolutely. And you can be veteran, uh, the family of a veteran. And HIPAA applies. Yes. And that's another thing that I think we ought to put on our list to uh, discuss is how does privacy work? And breaking through a few barriers that active duty tend to have uh, when it comes to seeking this kind of help. Kirsten Belair, you are absolutely wonderful. You, Lukey, your motorcycle, your team. (laughs) (laughs) Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center, the place to be if uh, you do need help. And uh, again, not dealing with crises in your department, but we do have some information to offer you uh, about how to get connected. If you are uh, experiencing a crisis, we can tell you where to connect and get help. Kirsten, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. We'll be back here in just about... 30 days, second Monday of uh, next month. How's that? Thanks, Ted. Thank you. If you need behavioral health assistance, please call 719-309-4758. That's 719-309-4758. If you're in crisis, you can dial 988 for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. The Veterans Crisis Line at 800-273-8255 or Colorado Crisis Services at 844-492-8255.